Hello and welcome to Cycling Talk with me, Georgia Mahoney. Today I am joined by international cyclocross rider, Gus van der Meer. Hi Gus, thank you for coming on with me today. Yeah, it's, uh, it's my pleasure. It's, uh, it's really cool and uh, thanks for having me. Can you tell me a bit about what it was like growing up in Holland? Well, it's, uh, it's maybe important to say that I grew up all the way in the north of the Netherlands. And uh, yeah, first of all, like the biggest difference, of course, between where I grew up and where you guys grew up in the UK is we uh, cycle on the other side of the road. Yeah. So when I came to the first time to the UK, that was already a, a bit strange. But uh, where I live, or where, actually where I grew up, uh, is below sea level. So... I actually uh, grew up like minus four meters below the sea and there's not a lot of trees here. Uh, there's not a lot of forest uh, and there is a lot of wind and it's completely flat. So at least I grew up in a place where it's always windy mm-hmm. and now I live in Germany already a few years and I think around 250 kilometers from where I grew up and there we have hills like the highest hill is I think like 70 meters. I don't know how, how much it is in, uh, in, in the UK measurements, but it's, it's not high. It's like two minutes from when then you're on the top, but it's not so windy there uh, because it's much more inland. And when, when it's windy, then everybody's like, oh, yeah, it's so windy here. But I literally, where I grew up, it's, it was always windy. So that was, uh, yeah, pretty, how do you say, like flat fields, a lot of cows and Love nice roads to ride your bike. So when did you get into cycling then? Well, actually, I, I started cycling uh, pretty late. So uh, I think I, I, I started in the juniors as a sec, second year junior or first year. No, I, did, I started as a first year junior on the road. And then you're already a second year junior in the cyclocross. And uh, before that, I always played, I think the, it's, called, it's a Dutch sport, it's called Korfball. It's uh, the second biggest sport of the Netherlands. And we always win the world championships in it because we're basically like one of the only countries that does it a lot. I think it's called netball in the UK. It's like with uh, guys and girls together and then it's like throwing a ball and you have to throw it through some basket, but then without the board behind it and you can't walk with the ball. But... I grew up in a town with like 500 people living there and it was literally like only sports club and that was like korfball or netball as it's called. So that was, that was literally like the only sport you can do. So you just did that sport, but uh, I'm, I'm not like the best one in team sports. So like from when I was little, I was always like, I was one of those kids who had to cry when he lost the game and (laughs) Yeah, if you're if you're in a team and not everybody is that motivated, uh, it's not always that good. And then, yeah, I think when I was 15, I, I didn't want to do that anymore because uh, I still hate losing. And then I got a really old bike from an uncle and I started riding around on the bike and I liked it. And I delivered newspapers in the town where I live and I delivered 35,000 newspapers to buy my first road bike. Wow. And then I bought a bike and... Alicia, I had the crappiest bike of the entire peloton, but uh, I I think on the second race I did, I got prize money. So I literally, so if you always did team sports, you never ever got any money for, for it. And then I did a bike race and I got eight euros and I was like, whoa, this is, yeah. this is it. I want, I want to become a bike racer. And yeah, I just, uh, I, I, I love racing bikes and I got in the cycling club and well, 
there's not a lot of many cycling clubs around here. So my club was over one hour away uh, with the bike. So I, I remember the first uh, first time I got to the training. We, so I got driven to the training. We did the training and I was like completely dead after the training. And then the second time I cycled over to the training. It was like around one hour with the bike. Did the training, but I was so dead. So I had to call my dad to pick me up. So So my parents had to pick me up after the cycling training and then i think the third or the fourth time i cycled through the training did the training cycled back and yeah i just uh love riding bikes and i started pretty late but from then on it went pretty quick that sounds like you have um a lot of dedication towards it yeah well i have to say that that's that's really grown over the years because uh yeah it's uh, my career has been yeah pretty I think I've been I've been extremely lucky. I've been racing for a club only one year, and then I signed my first contract. So I think I started when I was like around 16, 17 years old. And the first day after my 18th birthday, I signed my first contract with a professional team. And I was three years in the UCI elite mountain bike team. And then I stepped over to a continental team in Belgium. But always my main focus was on the cyclocross because I just want to become a cyclocross racer. So also, I think for my for my parents who are like completely not into cycling or whatsoever, like, and I was like the only kid in the entire town who was riding bikes. And that's, yeah, it's, it's all pretty, got pretty quick from there. And I think I never really had the ambition to turn professional. And I was just like, yeah, I love racing bikes and signed a contract and... All of a sudden, I didn't have to pay for a bike anymore. And they just, oh, here's your bike. You have to ride this. And here's a helmet. Put this helmet on. And here's clothes. Put these clothes on. I was like, oh, well, this, this is pretty nice, actually. And I was like, wow, this, this is insane. I was just, I just ride bikes. And I was literally, like, stoked 24-7. But never really that dedicated or, like, that serious with training. I just, like, love riding my bike all day, every day. But I think from when I was, like, third year on the 23. I really got like, hmm, I, I, I might be able to ride my bike a bit quicker than most of the guys here. And then I, I made a step to the team in Belgium. And then also you kind of like, oh, it's just going pretty well. And I got in the national team for the Netherlands and did the World Cups, got selected for Europeans, World Championships. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden like this guy, that kind of like opened my eyes. And that was like, from when I got selected for world championships or when I was riding in that orange jersey, I was like, or in the, I was like, hmm, I might become, if I might become a little bit more serious, uh, let's see, I can get a little bit further. And yeah, a few years later, I turned full-time professional and that's actually a bit how it went. So and now, now the dedication is of course really big, but in the, I still, I ride my bike because I love to ride my bike and not because I feel I have to ride my bike. So that's, yeah, a bit strange maybe to, to explain or to understand, but yeah, it's like, I just hate losing and you're like, I just want to train, want to become the best, but I love riding my bike. So that, that that's what's good. Be, be outside. If it's on the road bike, mountain bike, cross bike, just if it rains, if it's dry, if it's six o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock in the evening, just send yeah. it. <laughs> so what was that first bike that you got? The first bike that I bought from all the newspaper money. Yeah. It was a uh, aluminum bike. It was from a, it was a black one. And it was from a brand called uh, Senza. It's it's a Dutch brand and it had Shimano Soda on it. 
and yeah that was that was back in the day yeah yeah of course you're you're a bit you're a bit younger but when i was when i was racing the juniors it was quite common you had like your tires the color of your tires matching with the color of your kit oh wow yeah that's that's not done anymore nowadays but i but but my the the club uh, that had red clothes so my tires were also <laughs> red and uh yeah that that was cool back in the day like uh, again it's it's don't do that anymore like uh, you see now all the people riding the skin wall tires with the brown sidewalls but yeah yeah so it was a black bike with red tires shimano sora and uh yeah i i even i i rode top 20 in a classic race in the juniors and i remember a guy at the start line asking me like looking at me like what are you doing here and he looked at my bike and I had like shoes that were like four sizes too big. And so, and my mom made sandwiches for me. So I was literally like eating sandwiches at the start of a classic, but we cut the, the crust off because the crust takes longer to digest. So I was just eating sandwiches with strawberry jelly on there with a bike that was like 500 euros and shoes that were four sizes too big. And the guy's like, what are you doing here? But I, I finished the race in the top 20 and he, he did not finish. So then after that race, I got high enough in the ranking to be selected or like to be able to start at the national championships in the juniors. So there was again with my crappy bike on that race. <laughs> so how different is it riding in Holland compared to riding in the UK and other countries? Well, yeah, straight away, as I said, we ride on the different side of the road. But uh, I think... Uh, a really really big part that it's that is different from also from when i'm i'm riding in the uk when i'm over there is the is the other people in the traffic because it's so common to ride your bike in the netherlands and also for cars it's pretty common uh cars have a lot more or like they they pay a lot more attention to bikes mm -hmm. for example if you if you take your driver's test uh, or if you're having driver's lessons in the netherlands it's like you always have to look for bikes. Literally check in every mirror you have, look for bikes. If you step out of the car, open the door with your right hand, look over your shoulder because then you automatically make the turn, look over your shoulder outside before you open the door because like there can be a cyclist in, in, in every corner. And if you hit a cyclist uh, when you're in the car, it's always your fault as, as the car driver. So in, in, in that occasion, like, bike riders are like holy in the Netherlands and there's just so many of them. So ever, so most people who are also riding a car are also riding a bike yeah. one moment or another. So I think it's a lot easier for, for the other people in traffic to also uh, know how it is to be riding a bike. So in, in that way, people yeah, take care a lot more of each other. And yeah, I'm, I'm from the countryside and I'm still living on the countryside and it, that's already more that people take more care of each other and i think also the roads are pretty different because mm -hmm. what i saw in the uk first of all the the road quality is really bad so yeah <laughs> but there's a lot of holes in the mm -hmm. road everywhere and also the holes have a lot of corners mm -hmm. and a lot of blind corners yeah so that you cannot see through the corner and there's a lot of like trees uh, everywhere and like so it makes makes the it makes makes it hard to look, and for example here on the countryside it's really flat and it's really open. So for example, if I'm riding here in the north of the Netherlands, I can see like if there's a car coming from the right, 
I can almost see it from from a mile away coming because there's like it's all open so I think it's also cars and and bikes are able to see each other much earlier because the roads are more more straight and in the UK it's all like corners and everything and then it's for for a car driver if he drives a bit quick he sees the bike relative late so he's so it like it's it might be a bit scary or like how do you say like a surprise that's all of a sudden there's a bike and that can cause frustrations because the speed difference and to me it's much more relaxed to cycle in the Netherlands or in Germany than than in the UK. Yeah, I mean where I live especially there's actually a trail that goes sort of between lots of different towns and so a lot of people go along there. And so it's only the people that are really into cycling that actually ride on the roads. And you can tell if somebody knows what it's like to ride on the road because a lot of people just don't realize how hard it is when you're having loads of cars passing you. Yeah, and you also see like if a car is passing you with a lot of space between you and the car, you're pretty sure that the guy in the car is also riding a bike pretty often. So what drew you to cyclocross over other disciplines? Well, mainly because uh, there used to be a professional cyclocross race in the north of the Netherlands. And that was in the town next to the town where I grew up. So that was literally like, okay, over here, there's not a lot to do. So if there's something to do, a lot of people go there. So like there were like thousands of people watching that cyclocross race. And from that thousands of people, literally 95% of the people had no clue what was going on, but there were just some guys riding through a field in the mud. They were like, okay, cool, let's, mm-hmm. let's watch this. Yeah. And uh, ever since I was, was little, my dad always took me to that race. So, and I'm like a person who, I, I never had interest in computers. I never owned a PlayStation or an Xbox or, I was just like always outdoors and playing outside and, getting dirty getting my clothes all dirty and wet and everything and then when you're little and your dad takes you to something like a second cross race and you see those those big guys all running through the mud and being yeah. completely covered in mud i was like wow this is cool because yeah of course when i came home completely covered in mud my mom was not always that happy and <laughs> I used to have a little bike, rode around town, rode around our house in the fields everywhere always. And I saw those guys like, let's see, in the mud, everything. I was like, this is what I want to do. And ever since yeah. I was little, watching that race and every time coming back growing up, I like started to know, like, one day I will, I will do this race. I didn't know that time that you had to be a pro to do that thing and everything. That was like a real UCI race. Yeah. And but I, I felt like, oh, those guys just do laps in the mud. I just want to do that. I just want to compete in that. I just want to, I just want to be in there. And uh, yeah, like many, many years later, I, yeah, I, I kind of did it. And I'm traveling the world actually riding and running in the mud and being able to call this my job. So that's, that's, that's pretty weird. But ever since I was little, I was, I just want to, I just want to run through the mud. How was it riding the Cyclocross National Trophy Series? Well, uh, what's, what's maybe pretty cool, or pretty cool, nah. So, the UK and the Netherlands is pretty close to each other. And I've been traveling all over the world for the last uh, four or five years. I've, I've visited almost every continent in the world. I've visited yeah. over like 
I don't know how many countries, but I had never been to the UK in my life. Like literally never until I did the gravel race up north in Scotland. Uh, that was the first time I did it. It was, I think, the race Dirty River. And then I did the cyclocross race in Shrewsbury. So the hunt guys were like, hey, man, do you want to do a cyclocross race in the UK? And that was like my first time. That was like, yeah, Scotland is, is like not, Scotland is not a part of the UK, right? Um, Scotland is part of the UK, yeah. No. Oh yeah, yeah. Because for for people in the Netherlands, it's like all the same. Like we just yeah. all call it England. Yeah. So if you go to the other side of the world, yeah, like you're going to England. That that's yeah. basically it. And then I don't know. Yeah. It's like this part belongs to the UK, and this part doesn't, and this part yeah. is this and that. For us, it's all England. Yeah, I I think it can it can get quite confusing to sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because actually you asked me how it's life to live how, how it's like to live in Holland, but Holland is actually only the left side of the Netherlands. South Holland. So and and I'm not from Holland. So that that but that's oh. a bit the same as, as uh, Britain. Well, I studied geography at the university and I'm twenty five years old and only last year I kind of like started figuring out how how Great Britain is all set up mm -hmm. and which part is where and which part belongs to which. So no worries if you don't know it, know it yet. But yeah, I think the first time I did the cyclocross race was the one in Shrewsbury two, two years ago with yeah. the guys from Hunt. And well, I won the race then. And I was like, oh yeah, this is pretty cool. Yeah, this, uh, <laughs> let's come back to, to the UK. And uh, yeah, together with the guys from Hunt, we made a plan and we, yeah, we checked the race dates and yeah, made a whole travel plan to see like, hey, can we do all the races in the UK and, and try to, to, to do well in the overall? And yeah, I, I worked out like a 10 or 12 page document with all the travel plans to all the race and kind of like, yeah. And then all of a sudden, I, so I sent like this giant email with this whole document attached to it. And the reply I got was like, let's do this. And yeah. yeah, then I did all the race in the UK and it was, it was pretty cool. It's, it's very different from, from the other race I've done so far, mainly because, uh, to me, the, the courses are really simple. So like the yeah. technical yeah. level of the race course is really low. Basically <laughs> it's just, it's just grass and it's pretty wide. <laughs> and from the races in the UK, it's either way extremely muddy mm -hmm. or extremely dry. Yeah. There's literally no other option. So, so you take heavy mud tires or really fast tires. Mm -hmm. All the rest you can you can let at home. And uh, yeah, that was something that really that that kind of like was, yeah, was on one end pretty cool. I like the muddy races, but then also, for example, for the race in Irvine, everybody's like, yeah, it's a sandy race and there's a lot of sand here and everything. And mm -hmm. yeah, being being a European racer, and I've done all the sand races in Belgium and wherever in the world, so. If it's a sand race, it's literally 80% is sand. Yeah. And then like Irvine was like five meters of sand. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's really sand. So I flew in with sand tires and everything because it was so sandy. It was literally like I did three laps and I was like, yeah, where's the sand, guys? <laughs> yeah. It was a bit of difference of perspective, but it's... Yeah, overall, it was really awesome, and I think the the people in I think the coolest thing is the people in the UK all help each other, and mm -hmm. yeah, the only thing that uh, was a bit of a surprise at the beginning was that you have to bring your own uh, water and and spray installation yeah. and everything, 
which normally in, in Europe, if you do the race there, you, you don't have to do. It's provided by the organizers. So we came to that first race and it was like completely muddy. And I was like, yo, where's, where's the tax And I was like, oh, there's the tax Oh yeah, where's the water sprays? And it was like, everybody was like, yeah, you have to bring your own. <laughs> and we were like, oh, man, I think we got a problem over here. But then we got helped out. And over the winter, I got helped out a lot by, uh, by Chris McLeod, the dad of Callum McLeod. He also raced the National Series Trophy. So, uh, yeah, we got some, uh, some people also helping us out in the pit who know, knew exactly how it all went in the, in the races in the UK. And that was, that was pretty helpful. So, in the end, it, it, all, it all came back together. So, when, when you did these races, did you feel very welcome? Yes, I, yes extremely welcome. Oh. It, was, it was just mega cool. And everybody was... Uh, at least it felt to me a lot of people were happy that I was there and that more riders from, how do you say, like overseas, like other side of the channel made, uh, made the trip to the UK. And uh, yes, also because I committed to do all the races there. Uh, I don't know how many, how many riders from outside of the UK have done that in recent years, but uh, now that, that was pretty cool. And yeah, in the end, doing the entire national series trophies actually to me was more like, doing an awesome road trip with friends and seeing seeing the uk as i said i'd never really been to the uk before and if you do the all the races they're like all over in the uk there was like one in wales one in scotland one in the lake district uh, one in around london one somewhere else but yeah. then by doing all these races and traveling to all these races you literally come all over the country and that was just awesome and as i said with with the guys from Hunt, uh, with the team manager, Ollie, who kind of like, he literally like drove me all over the UK, like to every race. They, the guys all came from Brighton and they just, oh, you have to do a race in Scotland? Oh yeah, well, let's take the van and drive up to Scotland. Oh, you have to do a race in, in Wales? Well, let's take the van and drive to Wales. And yeah, we just had an awesome bunch with, uh, yeah, with, as I said, uh, Ollie was basically like driving and bringing all the cool vibes in and yeah we had dan the photographer guy and we also had another dan so we were always traveling with two dance might be a bit confusing <laughs> but it was one one dan who was taking photographs and it was one one dan for like overall helping hands racing uh taking photos repairing bikes standing in a pit zone uh basically like he literally did everything and then we had uh, matt their own uh, private chef and also really great mechanics. So basically like we we're always traveling like, with like four guys and I was the only one who needed to race, <laughs> but we were just, uh, yeah, it was just awesome weekends with, with guys having fun and just like one bunch of friends in a van driving all over the UK to do the races. And I think you can also see that back in the results. I always say happy races ride faster. And yeah, if, if you win the overall series in the end with the Jersey, it was more like, uh, yeah, just an awesome way to end the trip with <laughs> with a good crew. Didn't you actually like taking photos as well? Yeah, I also like to like to take a lot of photos, and I took quite some. But on on the race day, and especially like towards the end of the series, you know, I was like, ooh, need to get my focus completely on the race, and then I'm literally like, uh, normally I'm always happy and 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 willing to talk, but. If you, if you see me around one hour before the race, I might look really grumpy, but I'm just like <laughs> completely focused. And I'm like, I'm here to do this bike race. This one I need to do. I need to do one hour laps, full gas. Don't make mistakes. Go, 
go all out. And then I'm not taking that much photos, but most of the time after the race, I'm like taking photos or the days before the race or just like, I don't know, just take photos of weird stuff. And yeah, if you're like me and haven't really been to the UK before and then you go over many times and for example, see all the dragons in Wales, I haven't seen a dragon, but they were like, oh yeah, there's, so everybody was hyping up that there were dragons in Wales. Now I was in Wales, didn't see any dragon, but uh, that was a bummer. But yeah, I've seen, seen many cool things and spoke to a lot of cool people, but also sometimes at those races, because like all in the UK, they have like quite different accents. Yeah. And sometimes we were at the race and I literally like did not understood a single thing that the people were saying to me. And I was just like, just saying, oh, yes, yes, cool, nice, oh, yes, cool, nice, and just laughing a bit, yeah. I was like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm sometimes like that as well, because um, I'm from Devon, and some of my, sort of, my great uncles and that, they have a very strong accent, and I, I really don't know what they're saying. <laughs> no, I had this also, and then, but sometimes I asked the other guys I was with, they were from, from down south, I was like, yeah, did you know what, what he was saying? And they, and they were also like, I have no clue what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, that's, that, that's pretty cool. Because I know in, in, in the Netherlands, I have the same because I grew up in Friesland where they speak a completely different language. So I actually speak a completely different language. So then if I oh, speak wow. Dutch, it's, it's, it's also with, a, with an accent. And nowadays I mainly speak, speak English or German. So... Alicia hardly or Alicia don't speak much Dutch anymore. Normally only at the university when I'm there. So it's either way I speak Frisian with my parents and my mechanics or I speak German or English when I'm at home. Wow, that's crazy how you know so many languages. Yeah, you kind of like learn on the go. I even speak a little bit of Chinese after like visiting China four or five times. So kind of like I don't know, I I think I pick it up pretty quick and yeah, if if you're interested in in something and and then other people, you can learn anything pretty well. So that's that's maybe an important lesson that whatever you're in school or you have a hard exam coming up and you're like, uh, I'm never going never gonna to rem rem remember this or this is hard to learn. Just think that you really like it. Even if you don't like it, just, just tell yourself you really like this. For example, you have a math test. Just keep telling, telling yourself, yeah, I really like math. And oh, yes, I like to do calculations. <laughs> then it will be a lot easier to learn it. Oh, I yeah. saw you race at Crawley last year. So that wasn't actually the best race for you. Can you tell everybody what that race was like? Uh, well, that was, uh, yeah, one of the races in one of the races with the biggest starting field I've ever done in my career. And well, the thing you really don't want to happen in such a race is crashing in the first corner. And I think I was like on place five or six in the first corner. And yeah, a rider who took the inside line was a bit too fast in the first corner and didn't go with too much risk. Oh, he went down, took some guys with him and... Yeah, I, I, I was like the main victim. I had a broken bike, uh, mm -hmm. broken broken parts, everything. So I had to run to the tech zone. Yeah. Well, tech zone wasn't that far away, but yeah, you're like at the completely lost spot. And as I said, with such a huge, huge starting field, it's uh, it's hard to ever come back to the to the main group. And uh, yeah, that was that was a bummer. But I I think I still finished in the in the top twenty somewhere. But yeah, that was uh, that was a bummer because I really liked the course and those races suit me really well. So 
yeah, if that didn't happen, I, yeah, you never know what would happen, but I hope to, I think I would have finished a bit higher up in the results. So do you think that course best suited you then? Boo, nah, I think the, I think the race in Irvine suited me really well because that also went up and down a bit, was technical and it had the sand part in it where the entire UK racing scene was afraid of. And I think, uh, yeah, that, that race suited me really well. And yeah, not many people knew, but I kind of like won, won that race with a little like tactical tactical trick and of course you need you need fast legs to win the race but it's always important to look at what the other other riders are doing and and the wind was playing a big role in that race but i choose to ride different tires so and then if you're on the first start row and you know like my main concurrents and main competitors are also standing on the front row you always have to check their tires and I, I knew, I remember I was riding a heavier tire in the front with more grip. And yeah, it was like the course had some off camber corners, like 80 degrees and, or 180 degrees and everything. And it was, it was, a, was a bit tricky. It was pretty mm-hmm. easy doing, but I knew it was, this race was fast, but the wind was playing an important role and it might be possible groups would be staying together. But then I was like, if I have more grip in my front wheel, I can be faster in the corners and I can try to make the other riders make mistakes. Yeah. So I put the tire in front that had a little bit more rolling resistance on the straights. But normally on the straights, you can also draft behind the others. But the course had a lot of corners, so you can actually get a lot more advantage in those corners. So I put, the, put a different uh, front tire, kept pushing in the corners, uh, just waited until the guys behind me started making mistakes because I saw at the start line, they had tires with a lot less grip. So if I used the maximum of my grip, they would always crash. Hmm. And if you know that, you can just go as fast as you can on the tires with more grip in the corners. You just wait until the guys behind you make mistakes. Then you have a gap. Then you have to go full gas and then you just have to hope to keep up with that. And yeah, I, I remember with, I think Ian Field was second that race, not sure, second or third with Toby Barnes. Either way, one was second, other one was third, other way around. But I think it was the first or the second lap already. I, I had a little advantage out of the, those corners and everything. And I just kept sprinting full gas on the straights, kept my mind uh, really, really focused on the corners. But I knew I had more grip in the corners, so I could be faster there. But uh, I think the gap I took in the, in the first two laps has stayed almost exactly the same over the entire race. So I was literally cycling the exact same speed as the guys behind me. Yeah. And then you, then you really know, like, I have to keep doing this because if I slow down, they catch me back. So that was, uh, that was quite a nerve-wracking race, even though I've been cycling alone in the front for almost the entire race. I didn't like, the gap wasn't getting bigger, only in the last two laps. I think in the last laps, because they, they were starting to look at each other, like, oh, now you have to go in front, you have to go in front, I don't want to pull uh, anymore. And then, then, then the gap is getting bigger because I was doing the same pace. But that's, uh, that's I think, in cyclocross, always really important to also look at the tires that other people have. Yeah, I think it's very clever. So can you tell me a bit more about your education and your studying that you're doing at the moment? 
Well, so actually at the moment I am uh, graduating because of the Corona crisis. A lot of races got canceled and I had a lot of uh, extra time all of a sudden because normally I'm like seven months away from home every year and I study full-time at the university. But like, let's say I'm, I'm registered full-time, but I, I take courses part-time. And uh, yeah, I got collected study points over the years, did a course there, did a few courses there, did some there. And uh, at the moment I have one and a half year of delay. And next week on the 11th of August, I have the deadline of my thesis. And then I hopefully uh, got, if, if they say like, it's, it's fine and we, we give it a good, good grade. I finished my bachelor's degree. I think it's called undergrad in the UK. In, uh, in geography, and uh, then I'll pursue also a master's, master's degree, because uh, in the Netherlands, it's, uh, of course, everywhere, but in the Netherlands, uh, people mainly look at your ed education, so it's really hard to get a job based on, like, experience or skills or whatever. They, they'll literally, like, you only have to show a paper. If you, yeah. that's, that's, like, the main thing. Show a piece of paper with your name on it that says graduated, even though... You can't really do it so well. Even though there's other people who have better skills but don't have the paper, just share the paper. And that's, that's really important. And I was like, I really like cycling. But as I said before, I never had the ambition to turn pro or like as, as when I started. I didn't start racing bikes like oh, I want to become a professional cyclist. I just love riding bikes. And I just figured out it was a bit quicker than most of the other guys. And then I was like, yeah, I really like, also things besides cycling because I'm, I'm not one of those guys who has their mind 24 seven with bikes, with materials, with their life, everything. Just like you have to be really focused about your job. Like cycling is always on the first spot with me, but I like to do something besides. So actually studying is, uh, it's kind of like my hobby. <laughs> as soon as like cycling has become my job, uh, you kind of like need, need a different hobby. So I kind of like, looked at my education as my hobby, but I think the same thing I have with cycling is that I, I hate losing is I hate to fail for tests. So if I have a test, I make 100% sure that I've done everything for it within, within my reach to pass the test. So only the first test I took at the university, I failed. And ever since then, I never failed the test again. And now with the Corona, I got some more time and I was like, oh yeah, I need to wrap up my studies now. So I trained maybe like 20, 20 hours a week and just went full gas on studying. I finished seven courses in eight weeks. And all of a sudden I got an email from the university because I registered for new courses again, because I thought oh, I just have to need, I need more points. And they were like, oh yeah, you don't have to do any courses anymore. You passed everything. You just have to hand in a thesis and then you're done. I was like, oh, guess I need to write a thesis now. So then I started doing a thesis and that, that's what I'm doing now. And I uh, hope to finish soon. And then, yeah, in September, because, yeah, the cyclocross season, it's, we still don't know what happens. And I was like, yeah, well, why not keep going for a master's degree then? So uh, I'll do a two-year two year master's, but I'll probably do it in like three years, maybe four, and just – easy peasy yeah I think that's really great advice is education such an important thing to you do you think the people that are cycling should get their education first 
Yeah, I think it's it's in sports in general that it's hugely un underrated what the importance of education is because I think it's mainly has to do with two factors. And yeah, I've seen that, that it might be a bit different in the UK, but because cycling is so big in Holland and, and especially in Belgium, and if you're if you're a little bit good at it, like literally in the winter, my name is in the newspaper every weekend. Wow, yeah. And yeah, that's also because I'm the only cyclocross rider who is active in the winter, so there's literally no one else to write about. So if I win the race or if I finish on place 20, uh, they once wrote an article that I swallowed a stone during a race. <laughs> so so it's not like that they write about me because I always win the race. It's just because they don't have anyone else to write about. <laughs> but in in a lot of like, for a lot of guys, the, that's like, you get you can get famous from riding, the, riding your bike here. Yeah. And then they're like, oh yeah, I'm this athlete. And when, when you play sports, a lot of doors open for you. It's like at every level of sports or, or like at every sport you do. But especially in cycling, as soon as you don't have a contract anymore, you're basically gone. Mm. And cycling is also not a sport where you like make a huge a lot of money. So basically like if you don't win the Tour de France, like all the other cyclists, as soon as they stop cycling, they literally have to find a job and start working mm. so why not why not get a degree along the way and if you're an athlete uh, at a lot of universities like they they help you out or you can get the scholarship for it so it actually gets a bit cheaper to study and well it takes a bit longer but they also offer you to help like for example be be a bit easier with the deadlines and everything so that's why i think education is really important just to do it at the side because also like life there's more in life than sports in the end it's just a game and i think we've seen it also now with with the whole corona crisis going up like all the sports events are being canceled and all of a sudden like a lot of a lot of people and a lot of friends around me kind of like lost their goal in life and mm -hmm. yeah yeah for me my number one thing in life is is, is racing bikes also fell apart but i i just switched my mindset i was like oh yeah i'm just gonna finish my academic degree like as soon as possible and then we move on to the next thing but yeah as i said there's there's a life beyond cycling just like you say like if you break a leg it's it, it can be over and and yeah that's that's a thing in a lot of sports where, where in my opinion a lot of people underestimate and and that's that's what i think is is a bummer because if you if you can show a degree like no matter if you've done university or or any 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 other level of education and you have a career in have or have had a career in sports you're like such a value to any company because as an athlete to to become really good at something no matter if it's cycling if it's soccer if it's badminton or swimming you need to have that mindset of like if you're a swimmer for example you have to be in a swimming pool four o'clock in the morning every morning yeah like it takes it takes quite a special breed of people who want to do that and same as like if you want to become good at something you need so much dedication and if you then start working and you bring in that same dedication that same focus and so i think sports people can be such a good yeah a good part of a company but you kind of also need to have a degree because if if let's say if i would do a job interview now so let's say i break my leg i have a job interview for for some some kind of random job that does not apply riding a bike, and then the the the, the CEO of the, the job asked me like, "Hey man, oh cool that you want to work here, but uh, 
what's your qualifications? I'm like, yeah, I won this bike race. I did a world championships there. I've basically been riding my bike for the last six years every day. And, and then he's like, yeah, but what can you really do? I like, uh, ride a bike and, and lay in bed and rest. <laughs> so, so, you know, then, and then it's like, Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, we'll come back to you if, if you get the job or anything. And so, so to me, it's like, as an athlete, you kind of like should be, should be have your, your, your like your view on life a bit wider because you need to be really focused individual in that, in that cocoon, as we say, sometimes also be, I, like being egoist is the, the English word like don't really think about too much about others it's like if you want something you have to go for it but on the same time you also need to like look a bit around you like there is more in life than whatever whatever sports you do so I think that that's really important so never quit school yeah <laughs> and if you have problems with your geography classes or whatever we just set up a new Zoom meeting, make a new <laughs> podcast, just make a geography yeah. podcast. We will, I will help all of you guys through your geography exams. Geography of Goss, yeah. <laughs> yes. That would be a cool podcast. <laughs> you should start that now. <laughs> yes. So I'm, uh, I'm do, I, I hope to be finished with my geography undergrad pretty soon. And as a little side job, I always uh, worked as an assistant teacher. So I was giving lectures to the first year students on a subject called mapping. So making maps, basically. <laughs> so the, the bachelor's degree is pretty wide, but I really like to make maps and, and maps. So I'm also, I'm actually graduating on World War II maps and, and map related stuff. So even though I'm, I'm always lost. So if you go on the bike ride with me, you're basically, you, you will be lost and I won't have any clue where I am, but I like maps. And I will do a master's degree in, or I, I plan to do a master's degree in spatial engineering. So, and that's, that's pretty technical, but it's uh, with systems that you like around earthquakes or like volcanoes or like if a, if a tsunami is coming or, you know, stuff like that. So it's, uh, yeah, with uh, natural disasters and stuff around that. So yeah, that's still, still being good. outside. <laughs> how much training do you do and like, how do you fit it all in? Uh, well, if I have like a really easy week, it's like 16, 17 hours. If I have a big week, it's 30 hours. Uh, let's say on, on average the normal the normal weeks are like 20 to 25 hours a week and yeah how do you fit it in yeah uh if i need to do stuff for school or if i have other things you just leave early so mm -hmm. <laughs> that's uh also something but yeah as i said before uh right, yeah, cycling is always my number one thing so i would i just cancel my lectures if i have a big training that that's basically it and yeah i um uh, how do you fit it all in? Uh, yeah, train a lot. Uh, yeah, sleep well and don't do much else. Basically, I've been living alone for almost six years now. And it's basically every day you just, I know one thing for sure. I have to ride my bike every day. I've normally one, one rest day every week, but kind of like an average, I know I have to ride my bike every day. I have to do school stuff for university. I have to cook food, I have to eat the food, <laughs> and I have to sleep. <laughs> so, 
So that's basically my planning all day, every day for the last, I don't know how many years. And normally on Friday, I often have a rest day. And on Friday, I'm always vacuum cleaning, <laughs> doing all the laundry stuff from all the, all the things that are open. And yeah, it's like, you can fit it all in if you don't do, don't really do much to the, much on the side. And yeah, I'm also in a very lucky place of, yeah, of, having the, the sponsors around me that uh, allow me to to make a living out of it. So basically that, that opened up the opportunity to me to don't have to find a job and then you can train so much. So if I have to start working, then the training hours go down or if you start working, but you still train on the same same level as I do now, you will never recover in time. So then in the weekends, if you have to race, you're, you can't race so fast. So, yeah, how to fit it in? It, yeah, it takes a lot of dedication. Um, early mornings uh, sometimes. But, uh, yeah, for example, now I do a lot of scooter trainings. And, yeah, sometimes I think the first – on uh, last Monday we left at uh, 6.15 a.m. in the morning to do a 200-kilometer scooter ride to be back home before 12 o'clock because it started to rain in the afternoon. So, so stuff like that. And then you just like, you just do it and just have a smile on your face because yeah, in the end you're outside and you, you're a free person. And I think that that's also a good thing by cycling is good to combine with the study. It's because it's basically, you just need a bike to, to train and you leave your house and you come back to your own house. So you're really flexible. Do you have your own team now? Can you tell me a bit about that? Uh, yeah, I have my, yeah, it's, it's like, I have my own team, basically, like, I'm, I'm a privateer, as some might call it, and I have, uh, I have a bunch of sponsors around them, for example, Hunt, the bike wheels from, from the UK, and Bumtrack as a bike sponsor, and yeah, I can make an entire list of, of sponsors here now, but it's, uh, yeah, I have an awesome group of, of people around me that, uh, that support my, my career, as wise in financial, but also, like, in the materials, so that I can race at the highest level. But most important, it's like the people who like support my career for me as a person. So it's actually the same people who made the first bikes that I was racing in the, in the juniors when I was, when I was like, I, I was not really good at the beginning. So when I was like getting dropped at bike races at like 10 kilometers after the start, but the same people actually made the bikes on which I won my first pro race. So I think that's, that made it also possible for me to set this all up with my own team and not having to sign contracts anymore with, with other teams and be depending on them. And yeah, now I just uh, set it all up with my own sponsors. And because I, I can rely on, on the people who work like behind, this, behind the scenes prepare my bikes, uh, have the camper ready, make sure all the materials are always there. And I only have one bike at home, just have my training bike and all my other bikes and the wheels and the materials are always at my mechanics. And I don't, yeah, like I don't have to clean those bikes. I don't have to maintain them. If I have flat tire, they get glued on straight away. If I have something else, it gets repaired straight away. So I don't have all that all that stuff around and of course when i was younger i had to like i was like cleaning bikes every day and now i'm doing so much race sometimes i do like 35 cyclocross races a season then you kind of like you need people around you to do the rest because you can't do the races the training 
organizing the trips because I'm organizing the trips myself. And I was saying this time we'll leave this day is this day. We do this race and that, but then I, and then I found a group of sponsors around me and I think it's really important to, to don't really switch often from sponsors. So I rather invest a lot more in my relationship with the company and with the people behind the company than to like find a better deal somewhere else with, with another brand because there's a saying in the Netherlands, the grass is always greener on the other side or at the neighbors or however. And it's also, if you're in a team at, at a different team, it always might look better, but then you're in the other team and it was not really looking so much better. So, and yeah, I think I started over three years ago and in the same group of sponsors with the bikes and the materials, it's all still the same from day one. And also with that group of sponsors, we, we grew and grew and grew until I actually won my first professional races with with those companies that stepped in with my career as as I started racing for myself. So I think, yeah, it's 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 finding the right people, having of course a bit of luck, finding the right people, and just being yourself and work hard. And also like the sponsors around me, they see all what I do for for the sport and just like how I, how I want to become the best and that also like motivates them to support me, help me. Uh, for example, hunt with the wheels. Uh, they, they all see what I do for the, for training, to prepare, to dedicate my life, to literally like, as I said before, train every day, then do my university stuff at the side and then eat and sleep for, I don't know how many years in a row. And then they're like, okay, we, we want to like to sponsor you. We want to step in. We want to help you. It's, it's awesome what you're doing. And then they're like, Hey, do you want to come race in the UK? And we're like, we're going to drive you all over the UK. You're going to do all these races and we're going to have so much fun. And yeah, that's, that's, that's something that builds up over the years. And I think, yeah, if you're, if you really want something and it comes from, from within yourself, you will always find the right people around you to, to, to help you but yeah the most important thing is that the grass is always greener on the other side and 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 the relationship is always more important than getting getting my maybe getting more money somewhere else but with people that are less nice or signing for a giant bike brand but then you're just a number then then you're just like then you're a rider but they have 20 different riders but if you're with a smaller bike brand for example like I'm racing the bump track bikes from they're from Germany, from Cologne, from, from pretty close to, to where I live. And it's, it's a pretty small brand. I'm, I'm the only like diehard bike racer at the professional level there. And then you can work together with them pretty, pretty, pretty close. And that's really important. And just like, yeah, as soon as something, something happens, you have short, short contacts and that's, that's just the best. Yeah. And that makes managing a lot easier. So setting up setting up the team took the most effort but then if you just like if you keep with the same sponsors you don't have to look for new sponsors and that also saves a lot of time yeah so i noticed that you do a lot of stuff with your social media like you do lots of update updates on your stories and that what would your advice be to somebody who wanted to start doing things like that yeah i think the most important thing is just do it because you like it and because you think it's fun. And for example, uh, I've also made many YouTube videos and a while ago you had uh, Cameron, Cameron Mason on the yeah. podcast. He makes awesome videos with 
I don't know how many thousands of people are watching those videos. Yeah. I make awesome videos. At, at <laughs> least I think they're awesome. There's like maybe sometimes only like 200 people who watch them. And then I've been like editing for like over an hour. But <laughs> I'm just like, I just, you just have to show what you, what you think is fun. And yeah. also on my, on my social media channels, I always like show how life is like, especially like with my Instagram story, if I come back home from a 200 kilometer training and I'm like completely tired and I'm literally not doing anything else for the rest of the day anymore. I just like make a story out of that. Or if I'm riding in the rain four four days in a row, three, four, five hours a day, I just like make stories out of that because yeah, I think like being a professional cyclist is, is a nice job, but sometimes I'm like, yeah, working in a normal job would also make life a lot easier now. If you're like, for example, I don't know, suffering on a long climb or riding in the rain again. And you're like, hmm, what would life be if I just had a normal job? <laughs> but then you just like, I just like post a funny video or just like a stupid photo or whatsoever. I like, I never, I never, I never had the intentions to like get a lot of followers. And I really don't really have a lot of followers, but my, the videos like they're like real and they're like honest, honest. And I think that that's really important. And that's also things I, I hear a lot from people who actually watch them because yeah, you might have seen that also on social media nowadays. Like, there's a lot of accounts that have like I don't know, like ten or twenty thousand followers, and then they post a photo and they have like twenty likes, and then they're like, oh well, then it's like yeah. all Russian spam accounts or whatsoever who follow those accounts. But yeah. then I rather have far less followers, but just like people like really send me a message or whatsoever, and I literally I reply to every message I get. From the first day I started social media from, until now, I just like everyone who sends me a message, I reply to everyone back. And yeah, with I just I just show what I want. If if I'm for example, if I'm in China and I see something funny there, I just have a photo and put it on the Instagram. I'm I'm I never really put things on to like get a lot of likes. I always like I put something on and then I I don't really look at it again. So I never really look like, oh yeah, how many people liked it or, or what are the reactions? I was like, oh yeah, I think it's funny. So I'll just throw it on and then we'll see what happens. I just, I just do it to, to share. Yeah. After this, you'll go viral. You know, you have loads of followers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, millions yeah. of millions of followers. No, no, no. But for example, like uh, if I if I talk with a sponsor or if I when I set up my team with my own sponsor. I never ever tell or uh, like put the numbers of my social media accounts on there. Like how many followers I have, how many interactions I have, how many likes I have, how many posts I do because, and also with all the sponsors I have, I was like, I never do sponsored uh, content. So for example, like you often see those, those, those athletes of those like influencers uh, posting like, stuff like oh yeah buy this product because it's really good and then they're like but then you see them in real life and they like never use the products for example and i don't know i get like so many requests for sponsoring or like putting stuff on social media or whatsoever and i'm like no i would never use this myself or like then then I'll, i would never do that so i'm just like just with social media just put stuff on that you, that you like and don't take it all too serious because yeah, it's in the end it's 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 the real life that matters and that's a lot of people who saw my 
my my my insta movies or whatever then if they meet me in real life they see that i'm like literally exactly the same as i'm like in in the movies mm. and that's that's also something i i can get really frustrated about like with people who then if they put videos on or whatsoever they're like all all happy and all cool and, oh yeah I'm, i'm so nice and whatever and then you see them in real life and it's like they're boring and grumpy and they're not nice and then i'm like Yo, why are you so fake when you put a uh, put a movie on? So then I rather put yeah. on like less quality stuff, but just like honest and and fun stuff than just like faking it. Yeah, I think it's really nice. All the people that I've interviewed so far, they're in real life like they are on social media, and I think it's really nice. Yeah, because yeah, I think also for a lot of like younger writers now, like social media is like. All the people trying to like show the ideal image, like, oh yeah, I have the dream life. Or like, I have this nice bike. I oh, got this new new wheels or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's not really how it goes. So I think yeah, a lot of people like they're they're making themselves look much bigger or much more important or much cooler than they actually are. And I'm like, yeah, why would you do that? Yeah. For so- example, like I don't really have much hair anymore. As you see, my hair is falling out on the top. <laughs> It's uh yeah as I said if you if you grow up in Friesland it's always windy so like your head just blows away and <laughs> yeah literally my entire family has that and I'm just I'm, I'm always just making making jokes about getting bald and yeah that's yeah what can I do about it? I'm I'm 25 and I'm getting bald yeah you can just just take it and make funny videos videos out of it yeah. because yeah that's life and then I can put a wig on and and show that I have hair but I don't have it so I'm like yeah so do you think if you were an under 14 again would there be anything that you would have done differently if I would be 14 years old again I would have started racing bikes already earlier because it's so much fun and yeah yeah I've missed out of that uh, pretty long who do you think your favorite current cyclist is yeah it's I think yeah it's like it can only be one it's uh yours Nieuwenhuis the former under 23 cyclocross world champion and uh, current road pro with uh, team sunweb and also still in the cyclocross and yeah he also happens to be yeah. like one of my best friends so oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i can't really can't really call any can't really say mm-hmm. any other cyclist and uh, no but yeah i think yeah he's uh, we always we always train together as much as possible and we hang out a lot and yeah we're like yeah both the same Yeah, both same guys, and yeah, he, of course, he's he's a lot faster than me. But uh, yeah, we always train a lot together, and yeah, if I'm like really suffering or like if he is having good legs, I have bad, I have bad legs. I'm just I just ride in his wheel and like yeah. literally no hard feelings. And yeah, so it's it also it's it's also sometimes other way around that he rides in my <laughs> wheel. Not not often. I have to say this straight away because he will probably <laughs> listen to this podcast. So. Uh, no, but yeah, he's uh, he's one of my favorites, and yeah, not because he uh, he won 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 all those races and everything. I actually I beat him once at the national championships mm-hmm. in the Netherlands, where I got third and he got I think fourth. So so p- please put that in the podcast because like <laughs> from I don't know how many I think over 100 races we've we've done against each other. Mm-hmm. I might have beat him only one time, and that was great. <laughs> That's pretty important to note. And yeah. no, but but he's just just an awesome dude. Who do you think your favorite cyclist is of all time? Boo. 
I think that's also pretty pretty hard to say because yeah, I'm, when I was younger, I never really followed the cycling, and so I never really liked watching cycling on TV. I was like, oh yeah, this takes forever, this is boring, and they only show <laughs> landscape on the TV, and. Uh, and I also didn't really, I didn't grow up with cycling or anything. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I think it might be a cool, cool story to tell. When I was in the Belgian team, we once had like a team presentation thing at the sponsor, sponsor of the team. And Johan Museo was there, you know, the guy oh. won the Ronde van Vlaanderen, Paris Roubaix, mm-hmm. world champion. I don't know. What, what didn't he want? Mm-hmm. I literally had no clue who Johan Museo was. Alice, you had no clue which guy in that room <laughs> actually Johan Museo was until I like there was one guy who was like 10 or 20 people standing around him all the time. I was like, well, this this must be a famous guy. <laughs> so yeah, I don't really have like that much like knowledge. You know, nowadays I know a lot of names, but I think yeah, if I like a, a cyclist who is who is who is not racing anymore now is uh, Thijs Al and I know if you have heard of him before, he won also a few races in the UK back in the day. But he kind of like was the, he was like the Mathieu van der Poel, like a few years before Mathieu van der Poel. He was like, been to the Olympics on the mountain bike, been professional on the road, been road champion on the 23 with like, it's it, the story goes that he still had hair on his legs because he was a mountain biker and mountain bikes don't shave the legs. Then he did the national championships on a borrowed bike and won. And yeah, he won cyclocross world cups, and uh, yeah, I've I've learned a lot from him. And yeah, sometimes if I have like questions or just like more like questions based around my career, uh, I, I I ask him a lot, and he's given me over over the years a lot of valuable advice. And I think one of the most important advice he always gave me was like always choose for for the option which gives you the most fun. Also, yeah. and then for example, like. For me, if I come over to the UK to do all those races, I even I even cancel the World Cup. I cancel the World Cup in Coxhide to come to the UK to do the race in to do one of the National Series Trophy races. And yeah, where a lot of riders would like never cancel the World Cup, I was like, yeah, I have so much fun just like traveling around the UK with those guys just doing the races here. Like, I I choose the fun side over like possible like financial gains or whatever and. That's yeah. uh, that's that's brought me really far in my career so far, and took me to many places, and I've met met a lot of awesome people on the road. And for example, now I'm sitting here doing the podcast with you. <laughs> that's pretty cool. So, where do you think your favorite place in the whole world is to ride? Uh, I think I would 100% go back to Adelaide in Australia. I have spent, uh, ooh, I think it was a month, a one and a half month there, two years ago to do some races there and train and be there. And yeah, life, life is pretty good in Australia. I can tell you that. So yeah, if I, if they say you have to move today and you can pick one location to, to go, I would like just send it straight away to Australia, to Adelaide. Do you have a favorite cyclocross course? Yeah, I, I, one of my favorite races and last year did not got organized anymore. It's in, uh, it's in Switzerland and it's in Eschenbach. So I don't know how many years ago there was a world championships there also. And I got hypothermia once there at that race. And yeah, just like a lot of great memories, but uh, <laughs> no, but the course is like, uh, is actually pretty simple. It's like, 
just like the old Cox Heide course, I also really love the Cox Heide course. It's like one long climb mm. and one really nice off camber <laughs> downhill. And then you like take a little part of a downhill mountain bike trail, like with the, with the off camber corners, everything down. And then you're like on the flat, you take like some angles and some bunny hops. And then you put the climb again. And the, yeah. the climb is just on the road. It's just like a tarmac <laughs> climb. It's just like from the bottom to the top. It's like, eh, and it's a wide road. So it's a really, it's a really honest race. It's just like strongest guy wins. So strongest okay. guy wins uphill, but you have to ride technical really good. And yeah, I love that course. How do you feel about racing this year? I really hope, uh, yeah, we will get back to racing as soon as possible. And yeah, like situations can change like day by day. And yeah, I, it's also like, crazy important to yeah, for example like i don't know exactly how it all goes in the uk but in the netherlands like our government like has a list of countries with like the colors with like green yellow orange and red so if a country is like red you should not go there like basically you're not allowed to go yeah. there anymore but if a, if a country is orange and if you go there you come back you have to be in current uh, you have been quarantined quarantined yeah yeah in quarantine yeah for yeah. two weeks yeah, so, in the in the UK we sort of have just a list of countries that you're that you're allowed to travel to, and if it's not on the list, then you can't go there. And obviously, some of them, yeah, you yeah, have to so quarantine afterwards. For example, if you do a race in one of those countries, then it's it's nice you can do the race, but then you come back and you have to mm. be quarantined for fourteen days. I'm like, man, better not do that race. Yeah. And yeah, I'm 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 a, I'm a bit afraid that the cyclocross season will be. Uh, We'll have some holes in it so that you then do a race and two weekends no race then you do a race again and and mm. stuff like that and that's uh yeah mm. i'm really looking at it week by week and as as soon as it starts i will be ready but it's it's also really important to keep all the corona updates from literally all the countries where where, where i'm planning to to race so it will be a lot of researching and monitoring and for example, in Belgium, it's like the, the mayor of the council or like the, 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 the local governmental area yeah. where the race is, is being held. He says if the race can go on or not. And like yesterday, the, the first uh, UCR race in Belgium at, at the 20, 20 something in September already got canceled because the mayor didn't want to want to have it there. And yeah. The, that can happen to to any race over there. Like in 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 the area of Antwerp, some road races were also getting cancelled. So you never know. The 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 area where the World Championships on the road will be held now is currently a red a red area on the map for Corona. Mm. So who says who says the the World Championship road racing will go on? The yeah. Same as for the last cyclocross World Cup in Switzerland. It's also being located in a red area currently. So. Who says the race will take place? You know, it's as as a rider, you basically you have to be ready for the races, and but they can also be cancelled at any moment again. So mm. it's yeah, just have to get the base pretty well, and then hopefully the races will go on as many as possible. Where where do you see yourself in five years time? Yeah, when you when you sent me the questions, I was like, ooh, that's that's a tough one. That's a tough mm. one. Yeah, if, then I'm 30 years old. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> then uh yeah, ooh, I think like the the serious side of life would be would be slowly starting around then around that age, you know, like 
don't know, like maybe buy a house or like, I don't know, you know, like now I'm just like, I'm, I'm living a really free life. So I'm not really like, thinking much ahead so like oh where do you see yourself in five years i was like oh good i have to think about what i will do in five years so i just hope to be still enjoying bikes and of course hopefully racing bikes and yeah we'll we'll see i one thing i hope is that in, within five years i also finish that master's degree yeah. uh, so let's say that in five years i hope to also finish a master's degree yeah is there somewhere that you really want to ride that you haven't ridden yet? Uh, yeah, I would love to go to Africa because awesome. I won bike races in almost every continent of the world. And yeah, I haven't really been to Africa yet. This year I was planning on going to Africa for some mountain bike races. And yeah, also got cancelled. So uh, yeah, hopefully I might give it a shot next year again. Mm. Thank you for um, coming on today, Gus. It's been really great to talk to you. Yeah, well, uh, thank you a lot. It was awesome having me. And uh, yeah, as I said, I love the podcast. I listen to all the episodes. And oh, yeah, can I also can I also say something to Ian Field on this podcast? So you can call him in for the next podcast. Mm-hmm. Because I heard in the podcast that Ian Field cannot swim or cannot uh, ice speed skate. Mm-hmm. So literally, as I said, I grew up below sea level. And I grew up in the area where the legendary ice speed skating race from the 11 cities is from the city oh, wow. to the city so let's say like i'm, I'm living really cl- oh, like i grew up really close to the course so uh, ian if you hear this uh if there's like at the end of the season if there's ice just come over to the netherlands uh <laughs> we'll get you on some ice speed skates we will go ice speed skating dude <laughs> you can't be living without knowing how to do ice speed skating i will teach you how to do yeah can i come too <laughs> Oh, yes, of course. But have you ever done ice speed skating? No, no. I've, I've only really, around here, there's only really fake ice rinks. That's all I've oh, ever man. done. What? Oh, here it's just all outside. So if wow. I go training, there's like so many lakes and, 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 and canals and water and, and everything here. So, and there's like not bridges everywhere. So you really have to know where you go because sometimes you just like ride in the road for like 10K and then all of a sudden like there's water. Yeah. So you have to get your way around. But in the wintertime, because also a lot of water is like maybe like 50 centimeters deep. So it gets frozen pretty quick and you can ice speed skate everywhere. Oh, wow. And that's, uh, yeah, like especially like in Friesland, the northern part of the Netherlands is like, Everybody can ice speed skate there. And also, you know, like the Netherlands wins a lot of uh, medals at the Winter Olympics all the time. Mm. On yeah. the, with the ice speed skating, we literally like only win in ice speed skating, nowhere else. <laughs> but uh, like almost half of those medals are being won by freezing people. And also like there's, there's the big Olympic track and everything because like actually like Friesland is a little bit like the center spot of ice speed skating in the mm. world. Like. Wow. Here are all the famous and fast guys always come speed skating. Oh, wow. And also, Goss, thank you for your giveaway of um, tubulars and wheels. If the listeners want to find out how they can win the giveaway, then they'll have to check out our Instagram at cycling.talk.podcast. Before we started the interview, Goss told me and my mum an extra story. We wanted to keep it in for you guys, so here it is. 
Oh yeah, can I just check? Your name is Goss van der Meer, right? Yeah, that's right. Gosse, uh, it's actually a Frisian name, but you say Gosse van der Meer. Van der Meer? Oh. Yeah. Br- British people don't really say the R, like the R. <laughs> but most people in the UK actually call me Goose. Everybody at the Hunt Company calls me Goose. I think from doing my first uh, World Cup on the mountain bike, already the speaker started saying goose. And every time I do races in, in different countries and, and the speaker is talking English, they always say goose. So for, for me, it's, it's all good. Actually, one of the guys from Hunt got a goose, a geese tattooed oh. after I won the National Series trophy just because <laughs> everybody calls me goose. <laughs> It was actually when we drove back from the race in Scotland because all those guys are living uh, down south in Brighton. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's pretty far from, I think it was Irvine, 12-hour drive or something. But then I won that race in Irvine, so everybody was pretty stoked. And they were actually sitting in the Nando's. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, if you win the overall, I'll get a tattoo and you can decide what you want. And I was like, but then I was like, yeah, if I win the overall, I pay for that tattoo with the prize money. <laughs> and well, a few weeks later, I figured yeah. out there was no prize money. And at the end of the National Series Trophy, I found out how expensive tattoos were. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening. You can find our podcast on Spotify and ACAS at Cycling Talk Podcast and you can find all of our episodes at cycling.talk.podcast.buzzsprout.com. See you on the bike.